Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. to 100, the Ed Gordon Podcast. Today, I talk with scholar, preacher, professor, and author Michael Eric Dyson. Dyson joined the faculty of Vanderbilt University this year. His latest book is Long Time Coming, Reckoning with Race in America, where he deals with the tumult over race in this country. The issues he deals with in the book certainly overlay some of what we saw play itself out this week as much of the world set in bewilderment, watching a coup attempt play itself out on the grounds of the nation's capital. Mike, let me start by asking you what we saw this week. I mean, you know, people can try to tamp it down, but what we saw truly was an insurrection. There's no question about that. Um, you know, they try to use euphemisms. Um, they don't describe those largely white protesters, insurrectionists, thugs, yesterday, uh, as they described black people who are righteously protesting against racial injustice, against systemic oppression, against the loss of black life at the hands of the state by a governmental representative called a policeman or a policewoman. 
and we are called thugs and dismissed. And that's everybody from the previous president to the present president. And yet these figures uh, are seen as noble citizens who have a righteous cause, who just maybe stepped over the line a little bit. Uh, but you're absolutely right. This is, it was at once thought of as a bloodless coup, but it was not bloodless. Uh, a woman died, three others that four people died in that process. And it is extraordinarily discomforting that black people in a righteous cause are demonized and seen as um, a challenge to American democracy, while those folk, <clears throat> for the most part, are seen as extensions of it. It was an insurrection. It was an attempt to take the Capitol. They're walking around as if they were on tour. The policemen are taking selfies with them. Uh, it is an astonishing rebuke to all those who would proclaim, oh, you black people just get all excited. You're all exaggerating. Uh, you know, the police treat everybody the same. Yesterday, we saw that is simply not true. So, yeah, it was an insurrection. It was an attempt uh, to undercut the government. And here's the kicker, as you well know, led by, inspired by, instigated by the man who is ostensibly the head of the government, who is literally at the top of the political food chain, fomenting dissent and encouraging revolution within his own government is extraordinarily disconcerting. We'll get to him in a moment. I tell you what I've been bothered by, not only with this incident, but bothered by for a long time. And that is this sense, often by the media, and when I hear the term, this is not America, this is not who we are. There is a whitewashed Hollywood version of America. Um, there is the ideal of what this nation wants to be. Right. And there is reality. Yesterday right. was America. Absolutely. This is America. This is what we do. And even those who, in the name of a higher moral road, claim that we don't settle differences through violence. This is how the nation came into being, if I remember correctly. Crispus Attucks, the black man. Uh, and, and since we learn our history from Stephen Morris, better known as Stevie Wonder, First man to die for the flag we now hold high was a black man die at the edge of a bayonet, a musket shot, bloodshed, America born in revolution, born in violence, America in the Civil War, the internal schism between sides, father against son, brother against brother, cousin against cousin, family against family. That is America. America in the 1960s, when Martin Luther King Jr., only armed with a Bible and a sense of moral outrage at the lethal limits imposed upon him as a black man, shot dead in Memphis, Tennessee. This is America. This is what we do. And as you have indicated, America doesn't want to confront the ugly underside, the un ugly underbelly of its uh, face, of its identity of its political practice. What we saw yesterday, black people have routinely seen. So it's a shock and astonishing for white brothers and sisters. But we know that we have been treated at the edge of a bayonet, at the, at the muzzle of a gun, that Jacob Blake shot in broad daylight, walking around his car, opening his door. And yet 
The police people will not be charged. This is America. Sorry to remind you all. Sorry to pull the sheet, white or otherwise, from your face. Sorry to pull the cover of amnesia that cloaks you, that shrouds you um, in a distance from the realities we confront. But this is indeed what America has been. Genocidal, as Dr. King talked about it, homicidal against those who are its citizens of color, and the refusal to acknowledge our fundamental humanity and to treat us as refugees in our own land. Look at Katrina for reference. Yes, this is the America we have known. Now, we we have fought for a better America, but we've never lied to ourselves about what we were fighting against. And that's often the case of these white brothers and sisters. This is why they hit the streets yesterday. A legitimate uh, election was held. No evidence of massive fraud. And yet, because of the trichnosis of a fraudulent president, fraudulent in the sense that he has never embodied the noble ideals and aspirations, even of those that were put forth by the founding fathers, as flawed as they were, that he has never accepted the fundamental limits imposed by governmental uh, praxis and history in this nation, that this person has been the adjudicator of claims of true democracy is a sham to begin with. And so, yes, this is America. This is the history of America writ large. And this is the history of America against the canvas of blood and brutality that we have always known. Mike, how do we tear away at those antithetical images of America, if you will? You know, uh, the cowboy for so many years was the, the rugged personification of who America was. So if you got John Wayne over here and that's the ideal of what white America was supposed to be. Um, and then I, it, it's hard for me to even say Trump as the reality. You know, it was easier to say Ronald Reagan is the reality as laughable as that is. But if Trump is the reality of the cowboy and, and, and Wayne was the, the ideal of the cowboy, how do we start to chip away and show those who have been blinded for so long that Trump is the reality, not John Wayne. Absolutely right. Well, just go read Gary Wills's biography of John Wayne to discover he ain't even like horses. <laughs> <laughs> all that, all that majestical mythology that you or in- Indians or us. <laughs> he ain't like-, <laughs> like Negroes. He says, you know, the blacks and everything <laughs> they're doing, but they got to be held as long as they're inferior. And we can't, you know, they haven't proved their superiority. They got to be in their position. He ain't like Native Americans, indigenous people. He ain't like Negroes. He don't like horses. He ain't like none of that stuff. So that's the mythology, the projection of the noble ideal, the golden mean by which America conquered through the West. Uh, The vicious uh, elements that were antithetical to American democracy and civilization. And we, the civilizing white man, have come along, come along now to be your savior, hogwash, balderdash. And we got to read even a basic textbook. Now, we know as long as Texas controls the dissemination of information, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. will be the measure of black America. And look, he, he was the greatest American ever produced. I love Martin Luther King Jr., but he ain't the entire sweep of black history. And so they don't learn about enslavement. And if they do, it's a week or two. It's a, it's a paragraph or two. 
And, you know, basically black people were immigrants coming here to this nation forced against our will. But, yeah, here and doing our thing. They don't know the bloody history. So the first thing they got to do is read real history. We got to make it up. Just read Eric Foner. Read Robin Kelly. Uh, read Earl Lewis. Uh, you know, read read Daphne Brooks. Read Farrah Griffin. Um, read Darlene Clark Hine. Uh, read Thaddeus Davis. Read Chase, Tracy Sharpley writing. And I got a thousand other names. Not hard to discover. Easy to find. So first of all, we got to have a sense of history about what actually went down. And then secondly, we got to tell white brothers and sisters, if what you are experiencing, uh, which is undeniably disconcerting to you because here you are out here now, your money is funny, uh, the month outlasts your money, you think the government is mistreating you and stuff, welcome to our world where we ain't uh, thinking about it, we knew about it. But why don't you come to us and ask us, you know what? How did y'all survive? How did y'all survive in the face of, you know, medical mistreatment? Uh, you think the, the being asked to wear a mask, we were forced to wear the mask. Go read Paul Lawrence Dunbar. We wear the mask. Read Leopold Senghor about the mask making and mask wearing of negritude and black people throughout the world. Why don't you come to us and ask us? First of all, being asked to wear a mask is not trying to snatch your rights away from you. It is not the intent to impose an arbitrary conception of power upon you. You have generated this stuff out of your white privilege. So it, the more we learn, not only the history of how America really came to be, but also beginning to unmask what white privilege is about. And we have mollycoddled white brothers and sisters. And, and, and every, most black politicians have not had the position, the power, the authority, or the inclination to tell white people the truth. Because if they would, if a, if a black president of the United States of America could haul off and say negative things about black people and be defended, because after all, he's one of them. If that same president could in any way be honest, not vicious, not condescending, not nasty, just honest about the truth of race in America or could afford to be, then we'd have a different outcome. And then finally, I think that what we have to do to chip away at a, a lot of that viciousness is to invite white brothers and sisters to understand, as Martin Luther King Jr. did, you got more in common with us than you got with these overlords. The white folk marching in the streets yesterday got more in common with us than you got with Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not the real deal. Donald Trump doesn't represent the ideal aspirations of American democracy. This is a fat cat, a rich dude, a man whose daddy gave him $400 million and he claimed he was self-made. So here's a guy not only born on third base and thought he hit a triple, here's a guy born at home and thought he hit a home run. And the reality is he's been given everything he's had. Whereas most Americans don't, know, Americans don't know about that. Most Americans ain't Donald Trump. Most Americans are closer to Shaniqua and to Jamil and Jamal than they are to Donald and Donald Jr. and brother Eric and Ivanka. So the reality is that if we can remove the cataracts of racial bigotry, then white brothers and sisters can be opened up to a vast region of experience that joins us all together.
Yeah, the irony in that, Mike, is, is truly unbelievable. When you look at the cast of characters who stormed the Capitol uh, oh. and what their existence is on a day-to-day, that That's they right. would see this man as okay. their guide. Oh, my God. It, it's astonishing. Let me, and, let, me, let me ask you about the, the duplicity of policing black folks and governing black folks. Do you think now, uh, as you just noted, that with chipping away, I'm not talking about the hard line liners that stormed the Capitol. I'm talking about your everyday average soccer mom in the suburbs who may have one black friend. Right. Do you think they're starting to see the duplicity of the existence of black folks in America? Small crack, but it, it is there. Um, because yesterday, or the day that, you know, the folks stormed the Capitol on Wednesday, um, you know, I think that people said, enough people said, you know, the great Joy Reid on MSNBC especially went viral. That she said, why don't, you, why don't you ask people who've been victims of this? Why don't you ask people who have known what police brutality is, how they would be treated if they would storm the Capitol? And the soccer mom has to be sitting at home, whether she's watching MSNBC or CNN or even Fox, right? I don't, even Fox can't spend that. Even Fox can't spend it. They'll try. But, but it gets to your consciousness, you know, yeah, that's strange. Because we saw the Black Lives Matter protests and those people were beat up and talked about as thugs and animals and monsters and they were destroying buildings and, and, and most of them weren't even doing that. And here we are, the heartbeat of American democracy, the emblem of American democratic process, small d, the noble vision of America writ large in the architecture of Washington, D.C., where I sit today. The capital seen as sacred, as civic sacred ground that these folk trampled on. And yet Colin Kaepernick took a knee and he was rid, written off as the worst thing America has seen. I think some of that, the little crack, George Floyd, a little bit maybe Jacob Blake, certainly the capital it begins to say to them something's different. Now, a lot of them, when George Floyd went down, for the first time saw what was going on and said, we're going to have to change up here because there ain't no more excuses. The asterisks have been removed. He was probably running from the police. No, no he was beneath the neck of uh, the knee of Derek Chauvin. Uh, he was probably menacing and saying horrible things and calling them out of their names. He said, officer and sir. Um, he probably was with a couple other guys and he had a gun and they get, he was held against his will on a concrete and a pavement palace, so to speak. And so ain't nothing they could say. The reason so many white people got it then is because there were no excuses there. All the stuff they usually say got removed. And now with the Capitol, even some of the senators and, and, and I tell you, Ed, I hold these people so much more accountable than even the white folk in the street, because we know they've been okey-doked and conspiratorialized and, and misled, right? You've been had, you've been misled. You know, they've been, that's a classic example of Malcolm X. 
But these people up in office, Senator Hawley, you know, Stanford and Yale. Now, I ain't not, I've been to Princeton. You know, you Detroit royalty. We, we know elite institutions. But God dang it, you ought to know better. And even if you disagree with somebody across the aisle, politically and ideologically, you fundamentally know that the process of democracy has worked well for all these many years. It ain't just all of a sudden got interrupted with Donald Trump's election. And your hypocrisy is even more manifest when some elections, like the one that got you in the office, they were fine. But the one that got Donald Trump uh, unelected, not fine. The same election, the same day where Republicans were put in office, great. No, no, no shenanigans going on there. But just with Donald Trump, the, the fix was in. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You are un-American. You are not the embodiment of the American ideals that people put you in office to uphold. You are a, a sham and a tragedy. But let me end by saying this, though. And you've heard this and I've heard this and we've heard it said and many, maybe white folk are finally beginning to understand the system ain't failing. The system working real good, like it was designed to do against us. And finally, the shining evidence of that is becoming apparent to those who have eyes to see. How much do you believe this sense of democracy is under siege? Democracy ain't going nowhere. I, I didn't believe that either, Mike. That's I mean, why I asked. On, the, the symbols of democracy are, are being under attack, and they ain't under attack that much because the capital going to be fine, although it was, it's, pretty, it's pretty distressing. You know, not, for black folk, it's, it's not simply that, oh, that's what y'all said was important and y'all jacking it up. Right. Having us, it, it, as Michael Rappaport said in that viral video, where the police at? What, 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 I don't see no neck. I don't see no knee on somebody's neck. I don't see them in the back of a police car and they're tearing up the stuff y'all say is important. Black folk coming out of a convenience store get killed in their own home and get shot in their own cars and get shot. A woman who is mentally ill. I think she was a black woman. Shot dead. And the perimeter of the Capitol within 200 feet locked down over one single black woman who obviously had a mental issue. This is the woman that was in the car some years ago. In the car with her kid, right? Yeah. And, and she was African-American, yes. African-American. And they shut that place out and killed that woman. And you got thousands of mostly white brothers and sisters out here tearing the place up and y'all taking selfies with them and acting as if it is the extension of American normalcy. So that's part of the trauma and tragedy. Hey, democracy ain't under assault. You know, I'm reminded of that, um, that Chris Rock and uh, Dave Chappelle uh, response when Dave Chappelle was hosting, I think, Saturday Night Live and he had Chris on there with him. And this is right after the election, 2016, white folk going, oh, my God, it's the worst thing in America ever. And they look at each other. Huh? <laughs> like, as if to say, I guess y'all missed that part on slavery. <laughs> guess y'all missed that Jim Crow joint. 
Guess y'all missed that post-reconstruction of denial of opportunity for black folk. Guess y'all didn't read 1935 uh, Du Bois and Black Reconstruction or Eric Foner's book on Reconstruction. You ain't read David Blight on Frederick Douglass. What you doing? What you reading? You know, you think this is the worst? Democracy was under assault when your mama and daddy told you that Negroes were the N-word and they should drink from a separate water fountain. That was far more lethal because it was normalized. It was accepted as the status quo. And Black people going to inferior schools was to you uh, a, a bloodless revolution against the upstart, absurgent Negroes who deserve to be reminded that they must stay in their place. Democracy was under assault when Emmett Till went to his death at 14, visiting Money, Mississippi from Chicago, and you put a 70-pound uh, you know, uh, cotton gin fan on his neck and tossed him into the Tallahatchie River. America was under assault. Um, democracy was under assault when you refused to acknowledge our humanity in 1857 and Roger B. Tawney, the chief of the chief justice of the Supreme Court, who said that black people have no rights that white people are bound to respect. That's democracy under assault. This is a cosmetic blemish that will be quickly recovered. And the fact that you have exaggerated this to such degree means that you are grossly insensitive to the real incursions of democracy that black people face, that brown people face, that indigenous people face every day. Mike, let me take you to two other questions before I get to the book. One is, you touched on this before, but I knew it was coming and it was hastened by what occurred uh, at the Capitol. And that is the cowards that walked in lockstep with this president. You know, the Lindsey Grahams, the, Mike, uh, the Mitch McConnells and on and on, who now, right that the plantation is on fire, right. are running for water to say, as Lindsey Graham had the nerve to say, well, I'm done. Well, you're two weeks away from this fool leaving the White House. Of course you're done. Right. What right. do we do with these folks? Uh, you know what? You, you know, remember and then use this, use their words uh, when they go for re-election again. Brother Harrison almost defeated yep. this, this man in South Carolina, which is astonishing. And let's not forget, we got two senators from Georgia, a black man and a Jewish man from Georgia are now represented. So we know what's possible when we can really come out in force en masse. And this is where Negroes, and I get it, I ain't voting, it don't make no difference in what I do. Look, I get the skepticism, but keep on voting. I get your bad feelings, but keep on voting. Sometimes you wake up, you married, you look at the woman next to you. What the hell did I do? Keep on being married, homie, because then you're going to come to a day. How could I have done anything better than this? Because it's up and down. It's a roller coaster. That's what voting is. That's what democracy is. And black people, we know this. So even though you feel bad and you got a reason to feel like it ain't no difference, no matter who I put in there, they're going to do something. Then every now and again, it breaks through. And you see the possibility of what can occur. And if, if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have a Senate where she is the tiebreaker, man, oh, man, oh, man, then Mitch McConnell, hypocrite, fomenting racial discord just because you ain't Donald Trump, but your policies are even more vicious. To me, Mitch McConnell, I won't say more vicious, but equally as vicious as Donald Trump because he knows the law. He knows policy. He knows policy. 
And not until it's a pox on his house right. does he get all concerned. Not but until that's his why house. he is more vicious. I contend that, that all level, those are far more vicious. And Donald Trump is an idiot, right? He, He's an idiot that stumbled to this position. And, and a media genius. That's and exactly, a media genius. That, that's exactly right. That's but he's exactly a media right. genius. He knows how to get his message out. He knows how. There's, there's no question about that. You, you cannot deny who he has been his entire life as a marketer. You can't deny that. But he doesn't know better in terms of the gravity of, of what no. he controlled. McConnell, Graham, the rest of these, Holly, they all do. Of and Jim. that's why I hold them. Well, there's no question. There's no question that they're more effective yeah. in their mendacity. You know, uh, Mike Pence, finally? You stand up to the president, finally? And yeah. you say, Mr. President, I can't do it. Hey, did my letter get out? We heard you. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, because he wants to save his butt. I need cover. I need cover. I need cover. And they're seeking cover. And how easy and convenient. Martin Luther King Jr. said, you don't measure a man or a woman in times of convenience. You measure them when the stuff is hard. And Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham failed the test. And Hawley failed the test. And now you want to hang in there and make a difference? I, You know, I'm almost tempted to say, I have more respect for the folk who, even after the viciousness of the Capitol, stuck to their guns and said, I'm going to challenge the legitimacy of Joe Biden's election. Just be real. Just be your real, mendacious, lying, duplicitous, uh, two-faced self to the end, as opposed to now we're going to have moral empathy with you. Oh, yes, it's been difficult, but look at him. At the end, he came through. This ain't no deathbed confession. Now that 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 the, the Trump presidency is dying, you're going to confess that it was mendacious and wrong. If that's the case, if you're serious about it, resign. If you're truly serious about being sorry, be sorry about how you've been complicit and resign the position that made you complicit. Liar, because you're not that you're not sorry. You're not uh, second thought. You're not thinking it through again. What you're doing is trying to save your hide because the tide has turned and people see the viciousness of what Donald Trump did. All these people resigning now in the Trump administration with two weeks left. Stop. You have been complicit and blood is still on your hands. It will not be easily washed away by a last minute resignation to show your outrage against what this president did because the stuff he did in silence is arguably even more vicious or equally as offensive as what he's done in public. How much do you believe, Mike, that this is part and parcel of the upset that continued uh, with the election of Barack Obama? How much of this is the manifestation of that? I mean, all of it is of a piece. And Barack Ob- upset at Barack Obama's piece was the crown and the jewel, but it wasn't the only thing, right? It's, it's when Hank Aaron beat Babe Ruth took his record. Why, why is a man who's hitting a white ball out of a park uh, going to get death threats? What? I'm, I'm hitting a baseball. Is that what? It's been building from time immemorial, from the time Negroes got here and got free. Mad. Uh, they don't work for us for free no more. Mad. Uh, 
we put them on plantations called sharecropping arrangements, man, when they got off of them, mad when they can go to the same schools, mad when their sons marrying our daughters, mad, just mad at the whole flux of human history, or at least American history, toward greater realization of liberty and emancipation for black people. Barack Obama was the was the most powerful symbol for many people of that, that now black tongue, mouth, and lips are intimately acquainted with the words and symbols of American democracy. Whoa, mm-hmm. Jesus. That, you know, we, we thought interracial marriage, this dude is the product of interracial marriage. And now our most esteemed office is helmed by a nigger. That's what many people thought. And they called him that word, and they called his children that word, and they called his wife that word, and they treated him as such. And they didn't really even deserve him. And I've had my differences, and I read my book, if you don't believe it, just because I didn't come out here and do like some of our brothers, some sisters did, in terms of calling them names and beating down. No, I ain't got to do all that. But I was strong. And they hated me nonetheless, right? Let's, let's be real. The Obama administration wasn't feeling me, right? Because I had been their friend, been the surrogate twice, and still had principled critique because I come from Detroit with Kenneth Cockrell and John Conyers and George Crockett and Martha Jean the Queen. <laughs> so that's my pedigree. But having said that, the man was an undeniably great president for most Americans. White folk ain't got no complaints against Barack Obama. Don't say nothing to me in terms of what he did to hook this economy up. Bail y'all out. Bail out the automobile industry. He could have went down to Flint when he went down there to take his uh, you know, victory lap, but that's another issue. But the point is that that black man was a symbol of all of us, even those of us who were critical of him. He was the emblem of our success. And by the way, the reason that the assaults upon us went up when he was in office is because he was a symbol of our success, and we were the embodiment of his moral and political trajectory, so that when white folk couldn't get to him, police killings went up under the first black president the vigilante attitudes, the hate of black people can't get him, can get his family. That's a, that was a mafioso move, right? We're going to hurt the people, you know, in your family, or at least I don't want to uh, besmirch the mafia. Sorry, Godfather, one and two. Uh, you know, these are people who have no understanding. Keep it within the family. Keep it within those who messed up. But we're going to hurt your mama. We're going to hurt your sister. We're going to hurt your cousin somebody who is near to you, we're going to affect. And so we can't get to Barack, but we can get you. Dylan Roof goes into a church. He says, you people are taking over. He ain't talking about nobody but Barack because we ain't taking over nothing but prison yards, right? We, we ain't the presidents of uh, corporations for the most part, Fortune 500 companies. We don't run nothing still in this country for the most part, except we in entertainment big and we in sports big. Other than that, and and a lot of other stuff that we are excellent at, that we deserve to be recognized for, but not to the degree that it would make white folk upset because we running it. 
So Dylan Roof has in his mind Barack Obama, but he kills Clemente Pinckney and nine folk in that church in South Carolina. So in that sense, uh, the anger, the hostility, the hatred of Obama is the anger and hostility and hatred of us too. When we return, a look at Professor Dyson's latest book, and we'll talk about what lies ahead for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at (sighs) purdueglobal.edu. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Dyson's new book is long time coming, Reckoning with Race in America. In the book, he confronts race head on. He is also part of my latest book, Conversations in Black on Power, Politics, and Leadership. I started by talking about what both books stress the need for honest conversation about the narrative of race in this country. The irony of you and I putting out books together in the same at the same time, you were a part of my book, Conversations in Black, mm-hmm. where I gathered 40 plus people together and had a virtual conversation about different topics, influencers and leaders and the like. And you, with long time coming, reckoning with race in America, we both knew and understood the, the, the bubbling under of what was going on in our community. Mm-hmm. We understood, I had an a, a interviewer ask me, how, how did you know this was going to happen? I go, no, this is not Notre Dame. I did not know that George Floyd was going to happen. I didn't know the explosions in the city was going to happen. What I knew was there was an, a bubbling under. The undergirding was shaking. Give me a sense of why you wrote this book and the dynamic of how you wrote it is so wonderful. Explain to people what that is. Thank you, my man. And your book is, uh, is a benchmark for these conversations and uh, congratulations to you again for that noteworthy and, and, and great effort. Yeah, my book is a series of letters to black martyrs, man. I just wanted to commune with the recently arrived, for the most part, ancestors. I want to sit down like when you go visit your, your daddies or your uncles or your cousins or your mamas or your wives or your husbands, you know, grave site. And you know they ain't there, but you talk to them anyway. And they're in spirit. You don't know. Sam Cooke said, it's been too hard living, but I'm afraid to die because I don't know what's up there behind that sky. Now, you might, God said it, I believe it, that settles it all. Yammer, yammer, yammer. You don't know. And I'm, I'm a Baptist preacher for 41 years. You don't know. You hope it's true. You pray it's true. You have faith it's true. So you know a kind of epistemology in your heart, but you don't really know. So you're sitting there talking. And I wanted to talk to these martyrs, to Elijah McClain, young boy, 23 years old, viciously killed in Aurora, Colorado, outside of Denver. You know, on the spectrum, arguably. Wasn't going to hurt a fly. He used respectability politics. Hey, don't, don't hurt. I don't even eat meat. He tried everything he could. He pulled out everything, every trope, every metaphor. I'm harmless. Five, six, 140-some pounds, and they still choke-held him, choke him twice, rendered him unconscious twice. The, 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 the EMT arrives, they administer ketamine to him, and he, a week later, he's dead. So I wanted to write to him and to Emmett Till and to, to a part to Ahmed Arbery, to George Floyd, to Eric Garner, to Sandra, to Sandra uh, Bland, uh, to Breonna Taylor, Reverend Pinkney, Brittany, you know, yes, yes, Clemente Pinkney, Hadia Pendleton, 
because I wanted to throw it because I knew they were going to say, well, you ain't talking about no black people got killed by black people. Yeah, I did. Because I'm against cancel culture with a quickness because I'm from Detroit. You don't be canceling people. Disagree with them. Yeah. Disposing of people. No, people mess up. I'm in D.C. What about if they had canceled Marion Barry? That dude went to jail and came back. He said, don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. <laughs> What's a little crack? So the point is, because I'm trying to crack the edifice to allow black people greater access mm-hmm. to the monies that should be available to them in this city. What about if we would have canceled uh, Coleman Young? People make mistakes, right? Ain't nobody perfect but God. So, so the point is, I wanted to write that book as a series of letters to these martyrs, to rehearse out loud the trauma and tragedy that we have endured as a result of being Black in America. Give me a sense of our inability often to accept that we are a traumatized people. Oh, man. Well, you know, the reason we can't admit it is because we couldn't afford to know it because then we'd have to think about how we shouldn't be able to do all the stuff we've done. Yeah. So on the one hand, it's remarkable. And, and yes, noble, the black people, irregardless <laughs> of what we have confronted, stand up and move forward. Mm-hmm. That indeed is extraordinary. On the other hand, um, you know, we the same people ain't going to go to the therapy. You know, all you need is Jesus. No, Negro, you need some chemicals too now. You need to to be helped. You need talk therapy. You need somebody to discuss that. Because so instead of killing Junebug and killing another black person, right? And I'm not, you know, I don't buy into the whole black on black crime. People kill where they live. If it was integrated communities, they'd be killing integrated uh, people. That's what they'd be killing. You kill, you don't take a bus. Hey, let me go uh, 10 miles away from where I live. Because usually the trauma is so real, the hate is so real, the dissent is so real, the conflict is so real, that it don't make no difference. White folk do the same thing. 93% of black people who are killed are killed by black people. 84% of white people are killed killed by white folk. It's just it's geography. Having said that, it doesn't mean that we don't get upset with and hurt by the fact that there is racial hatred in this country, and we've internalized it. And so we don't respect black life. Black lives matter ain't just something for white folk. Negroes need to hear that too. Like, yes, and all black life. And, and, and then don't spare me, you go to church and now you hate the gay people. Well, you, you, how, how are you better than the white folk who hate you just because you black? Did you hate somebody because they gay? And you and I come from a generation, man, we knew Andre was gay. We knew it. And then Andre in the neighborhood, though, Andre whipping butt for us too. Hey, Andre, so-and-so uh, hurt us. Where he at? I'll whip his ass for you. <laughs> and Andre did it, homie. And I'm talking about literally an Andre Andre. So, so, so Andre was big brother, homie. We knew he was gay like boys, right? Yes, we were homophobic when we called sissy, but nothing to the degree of the, in, of the institutional repression of Andre's sexual identity in deference to a notion of religion and God. You know, I was in a church in Cleveland preaching. Black woman came to me and said, she, you know you're going to hell. I said, what? I said, Jesus told you this already? Because I talked to him this morning. He ain't told me nothing like that. <laughs> right? And she said, you know what I'm talking about. Because <laughs> I was trying to play it off. She said, you know what I'm talking about. You said that God made gay people. I said, and you think I'm going to hell? 
you are, you are polytheist. You think there's a God for gay people and another one for straight? I said, either God made everybody or God ain't made nobody. It ain't no in between. Like God took a week off. Hey, I'm going on break now. So the other God's going to come in and make some stuff that's inferior. It's, it's, it's illogical. It's irrational. So the trauma that we've endured sometimes turns us against our best interests, against each other, and against ourselves. Enemies to our own best interests. And we can see the psychic trauma, the beatings that we endure, the beatings that we impose, the hurt and the pain that we think, ah, it ain't that bad. I dealt with it. You can deal with it too. Well, the jury is still out on whether or not you ain't going to be crazy at 65, even if you've been cool for the first 64 years. So that the, the sustained trauma we've endured, we're taught to suck it up, don't acknowledge it, don't be vulnerable. And as a result of that, we tear ourselves up and our own communities. And I wish there was a way we could acknowledge and congratulate ourselves for overcoming impossible odds and at the same time tell the truth about our vulnerability. This, I believe, by the way, is one of the great innovations of Black Lives Matter. Because even though there's tremendous tension between generations about methods and approaches to Black freedom, but what can't be denied is among the young folk about self-care. And we joked about it first. Dr. King didn't stop to get a pedicure on the march to Selma. All right, <laughs> true. But that's, that's disrespectful because that ain't what they really saying. Mm-hmm. They saying, why is it that when you open up Dr. King's body in the autopsy, a 40-year-old man had the heart of a 65-year-old man? That ain't, that, that's stress from the movement. Now, he tried to relieve some of it. And, you know, we could argue about the story. story. <laughs> That's why I ain't going to never judge Dr. King, though. When he was under, he could have been with a pole. Hey, I hope you had a great time there, and I hope it was successful. So the point is that that the trauma that we've endured, at least the young folk understand, self-care. How's your spirit? How you doing? What are you about? I'm right. That's beautiful. And we should, we should, we should acknowledge that as a necessary gesture of Black self-love. One more question about the book, Mike, and then I just want to take you to the future for Biden and and Harris. Um, Let me ask you the interviewer 101 question. Um, And that is, what do you want people to take away from reading the book? I wanted people to, with my book, I wanted them to start their own conversations and then move to action. What do you hope people, what do you hope resonates with people and what do you want them to take from it? Well, what I hope resonates with people is the trauma I talk about, the hurt and pain I talk about, uh, being hunted down like Ahmed Arbery, just for, you know, doing stuff that white folk can do every day. Black curiosity is criminalized. He's looking at a house. Now you think he's a, a suspect? You think he's a, a thief? Right? White folk. And then they showed the film, all the white folk going in and out. They go in houses. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Jiminy Cricket, what's going on there? Yeah. Yeah. Black curiosity is criminalized. In fact, it's lethal. And so I want folk, white folk, especially when they read it, to go, dang. Yeah, that's that's a that's a hell of a point. I just want them to open their eyes. Just open your god darn eyes and see what's going on. That's the resonance. And then what I want you to do, take it home to your mamas and daddies and your cousins and them. Don't impress me with allyship. That's great. I, we need it. I'm not dissing it. But you want real to be real allies? Go to your Aunt Alice if you want to be an ally. <laughs> Go to your Uncle Al if you want to be an ally. Go to your Uncle Al who lies 
about black people. That's the allies we need to get at. And tell the truth to that cat at, at Thanksgiving. Eat your, fu- eat your mo- food first now. Don't be stupid. Get the, get the, your, your pumpkin pie, because we eating potato pie, but your sweet potato. But y'all going to eat the pumpkin pie and get your stuffing while we're eating our, you know, dressing. So don't do all that. <laughs> then <laughs> break out the challenge, right? And say, no, what you saying about black people ain't true. You ain't got to give a Martin Luther King Jr. I have a dream speech. Just say, that's not true, Uncle so-and-so. That ain't true cousin so-and-so. That ain't true, you know, son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter, because we know it goes on all ages. And say it ain't right. And challenge that where you live, because I don't care how smart and cute, you know, you are or I am. They, some white folk ain't going to hear it. They're going to hear it from themselves. Right. Robin, look at the success of Robin D'Angelo's book, White Fragility. White folk, you know, I mean, for the most part, over two million copies of that book. Right. And she admits herself, hey, James Baldwin said this stuff and other black people have said this stuff, but they can hear it from themselves. All right. Then give that message. And she does brilliantly and beautifully there. So I want you all to hear this and then take it to your own communities and do something with it. Let me take you to the Biden administration. Biden Harris, a lot of hope prior to this week. I think that was dampened a bit when when they see the hill that has to now be climbed. Give me a sense of what your expectation is from this administration and what the political asks should be from black America, because whether it was Clyburn's uh, endorsement and South Carolina coming to save him and the idea that Harris brought black folk ignited to his campaign and then the black folk in Georgia saving the Senate for him, if ever we were owed, and we know we've been owed for, for a mighty long time, right? this is the time to ask for all of what you want. Yeah. All of which we should have done under Obama, but we didn't do none of that. See, this is, the, and we ain't no way around the hypocrisy. We get it, though. First black president, you right. know, we don't cut him slack. And I get it, because I love Obama. Cut him slack. I get it. But dang, you see how that puts you out of practice? Not what you're going to say to the white man, because if I'm the white man, I'm going to go like, wait, 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 hold, slow, slow down. I was there. I was his vice president for eight years. Y'all ain't asked him for nothing. Okay. Now you want me to be the world deliverer. And he is. In a sense, he said something Obama never said. He said, black people, I see you. You have my back. Now I got yours. I'm telling you, if he don't do nothing else, it would be tragic. But if he, the fact that he held himself to that account, that's the standard he articulated. That's the benchmark he laid, he put down. That's the golden mean that he has expressed as a means by hold me accountable because I already admitted that you had my back and I'm going to have yours. Now, Joe Biden ain't going to be perfect. He ain't Jesus. God ain't on the ticket. Allah ain't running, right? It's, it's a human being. But if I look at what he's done so far, he's got more than most even in terms of diversity and diversity has to be diversified. You can't just have, okay, you know, I got some black people and that's it. You got black people, Latinx people. He's got the first indigenous person. What good God, what took so long? Really? Right. The first indigenous Southeast Asian. Yeah. But we know Kamala's a black woman. Her mama knew she was her her Southeast Asian. Mama knew she was black. So we we appreciate the Southeast Asian truth because that's real. That's who her mama is. But that Southeast Asian black woman told her she's a black woman, and that's who Kamala's been. 
and Kamala being consistently black in this country. So I expect them to do what they're doing. He's a centrist. He ain't no radical, revolutionary, left liberal. Kamala Harris has been seen as the most progressive senator in the Senate. Now, whatever you think about her in terms of her cop background and all that stuff, all I get it. But look at how the white folks see her. That's That makes a difference, too. In other words, Barack Obama was the most progressive president that could possibly be elected. Not the most progressive black man. The most progressive black man that could be elected. Not the most progressive politician. The most progressive politician that could be elected. And if you ain't in office, ain't nothing you can do. So to me, he wasn't a progressive. Not at all. He's a centrist. Like, he's a centrist liberal like Joe Biden is. And Joe Biden ain't never lied about who he is. And Jim Clyburn is a centrist liberal and ain't really lied about who he is because most black people are conservative, even against what you and I might believe. I be fighting with the folk all the time, but I love my love black people. Most black people ain't like Michael Eric Dyson. They're like Barack Obama and Jim Clyburn. Stop lying. Even in Detroit, they are. Go to a barbershop. They are. That's why Cosby was able to resonate. To my chagrin, let me tell you now, because I wrote a book. <laughs> Way ahead of the curve. And we had many discussions about that, yes. Come on now. I'm saying, and I ain't going to say up and say, how you like me now? What I, te- what I told you. But the point is this, that, 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 you know, we should hold them accountable. He's given us permission to, hey, what you, hey, what you doing over here now? The NAACP already met with him, and we don't even like your choices. I mean, in National Election Network and the whole boat, you know, National Urban League, all the fellows and women we know. And that's their job, and they should do that. They should push. So we should have multiple attacks. We should hold them accountable, speak up and speak out, express our disconcert, express our discontent, but at the same time, understand the real limits that they're operating within and what we got to be able to do. And don't ask no more of him than you asked of Obama. Oh, my God. You don't want to. Oh, you don't want to do that, do you? Because if you don't ask no more of him than you asked of Obama, we in bad shape. But we have. We already have. And God bless him. And we should. And we should say, no. You know, now we know Merrick Garland's going to be the darn attorney general. Attorney general. And God bless him. You know, he's got to choose some white man. I get it. I wish he could have chosen a black woman or a black man. He's already, however, pledged to put a black woman on Supreme Court. Last time I checked. The black president ain't done that. I'm just saying, last time I checked, uh, as uh, Nipsey Hussle would say, last time that I checked, I ain't seen that. So, and he got a black, he done set Kamala Harris up to be the first female president of the United States of America. Come on, bro. I mean, if if I'm Joe Biden, like, Obama gave you rhetoric and symbol, and I ain't mad. I'm giving you the first black president, potentially, who's a woman, and the, I done plans to be the first one of the black on the Supreme Court, and I gave out uh, what, five cabinet positions? Bruh, I'm trying to do what I can do. But it ain't just the symbols. We don't just want black faces in high places. We want pipeline development. And this is where I think, as much as I love Barack Obama, he didn't do a good job of pipelining it so that the next person up or two people down could be in place to step in and because of experience. Because that's they're going to still do that even in politics. Well, the reason they chose all the Obama people because Obama people had the experience. But if Obama people would have gave some Negroes some chances a lot more, then they'd be ready. Not at the, okay, say you don't want to do them at the top level. Do them at the next level and the next down level so that they'll be ready with all that rich experience to come forward. 
So I think that we can hold this administration accountable. We couldn't hold Donald Trump accountable. He don't give a damn about nothing we believe. So I think this is a powerful moment to recognize that Jim Clyburn saved him, that black women saved him, that Georgia saved him, and he's conscious of it. And so now we have to give and take up and down. We ain't going to get everything we want. Don't, don't, don't quit because you don't get what you want. Oh, my God, it didn't turn out. No disrespect to some of these millennials. I voted and, and my guy didn't win and it didn't turn out. Welcome to the game, homie. You just starting. You don't know what disappointment is. Ask some 80-year-old black people who couldn't even vote. Ask me, who when I went from Detroit to Alabama and Georgia, where my mom and daddy was from, that I, I was like, why can't we stop? All everybody else stopping? We can't get no food. Why am I using a mason jar to pee? And, uh, and eating brown uh, sandwiches out of brown paper bags. Come on now. And I'm 62 years old. So, bruh, slow down with that. You don't really know what that kind of disappointment is and what we have to do to get where, where we is. So I say hold them to account. Continue to articulate whatever our black agenda is. And don't act like we ain't had one. The Marshall Plan from the National Urban League, Martin Luther King Jr., Whitney Young, uh, Melanie Campbell. We ain't got no lack of plans. We got to talk about power, access to power, and to instantiate those agendas and to inculcate them into the rhythm of polity and policy that exists. That's what we got to do, and that's the game we got to play. Well, brother, always, always good to talk to you. The uh, book is Long Time Coming, Reckoning with Race in America. I would encourage all to go get it. And um, hey, man, I, I just appreciate that you have stayed in the fight. Whether people agree with you on any given topic is not um, the question. The question is that we have people out front who keep swinging. And that's the important thing. And so you've been out there swinging and, and, and letting us um, you know, in on a rap lyric or an R&B lyric along the way. <laughs> so well, it takes always, one to know one, brother. It takes always appreciate it, brother. Thank you. The same back to you, my man. Detroit, what up? West Side, y'all heard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, just two brothers from the D having a little conversation. Many thanks to Michael Eric Dyson. Again, his latest book is Long Time Coming, Reckoning with Race in America. Don't forget to subscribe to 100 The Ed Gordon Podcast so you won't miss any of the great conversations we have coming up. 100 is produced by Ed Gordon Media and distributed by iHeartMedia. Carol Johnson Green and Cherie Weldon are our bookers. Our editor is Lance Patton. Gerald Albright composed and performed our theme. Please join me on Twitter and Instagram at Ed L. Gordon and on Facebook at Ed Gordon Media. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.